We're going to continue today with the life of Christ. Um, last time we left off, uh, we were in Matthew. We're going to transition this morning to Mark. You can see the outline on the board, Mark chapter 7. We're going to look at one episode divided into two parts. And you'll note that I've got head and heart in quotation marks. Point one, the head of the matter. Point two, the heart of the matter. Now, I'm doing that because I'm being a little cute in the sense of I mean both of those in two ways. Um, head meaning what brings this issue to a head and starts it off. And also because the first part deals with, in this controversy, deals with more of uh, sort of mental uh, gymnastics that the Pharisees are going through. So it's, it's more of a, a head thing. Whereas the second half, Jesus cuts to the chase and gets to the heart of the matter, meaning the core of the matter, but also that the, it, the heart of the matter is the heart, not the head. Okay, so that's the outline. But now, of course, we need to ask ourselves uh, from Mark chapter 7, what is the matter? If it's the head of the matter and the heart of the matter, what's the matter? And the matter has to do with uh, purity and defilement. What is it that defiles a man, a defiles a person? That's at the heart of this particular controversy. What we're going to see is that once again, some Pharisees and scribes come to Jesus about his disciples' behavior. And they're doing so, of course, not to get any sort of answer, really. It's more just to, you know, peg Jesus. We've already seen controversies where Jesus has gone against the, the standard and accepted Pharisaic traditions and rules that have already taken place. We've seen that with who he shared table with, who he knew table fellowship, how his disciples did not fast, how they celebrated the Sabbath. They've already confronted him on casting out demons. So this is yet one more thing where you have basically the big guns from Jerusalem coming to try to trick or catch Jesus in doing something that can be used against him. Also at the heart of this is not just what defiles a person or what makes a person unclean or what makes a person clean. It has to do with who speaks now for God. The Pharisees and the scribes have had their prescription for how to be God's people. And it's been established over, over these centuries and now you have Jesus coming and declaring, this is how you are God's people. So who speaks for God is also at the heart of this. Now before we actually uh, read the passage, just know, and we, we probably all know this just from anecdotal stuff or growing up hearing Bible stories, that the Pharisees and the scribes, now the Pharisees were a sect, Scribes was an office. A lot of the scribes were Pharisees. They're not just two different sects, if you want to think of it that way. Um, over, over the centuries, had built up a large body of rules and regulations to, to govern the life of the people, both individually and corporately. And the, the intent, I think, the intent initially was, was good. It wasn't something to, to try to put extra burdens on people. The point was to keep Israel from being defiled. They're surrounded by, by basically pagans, non-believers, and they wanted to keep themselves 
pure. But as so often happens, over time, these rules became an end in themselves rather than a means to the end of purity. These things became the thing itself, and you see then the conflict that happens because of it. Uh, all of these rules we're going to hear about were later. These were all oral at this time. So imagine being the average Jew and just and not knowing, whoa, I don't, what am I going to violate one of these? But they're eventually codified, put into what's called the Mishnah around AD 200, which is part of the Talmud. But those things are still around, and Orthodox Jews still practice these things. So we're going to, it's, this is going to center on ritual purity and washing uh, ritual washing before you eat your meal. That's where this is going to center. That's the head of the matter. But then it's going to go to the heart of the matter, which is really what is it that makes someone polluted or defiled? Is it the food? Is it the fact that they haven't ritually washed before eating the food? Is that the thing? What is at the heart of the matter? Yes, sir. I think also there's a group of the Pharisees who thought they kept all... 673 or whatever the number was of these rules, it would trigger the coming or force the coming of the Messiah. Exactly. That this, these were the ways that God's people following these would, would exactly usher in the coming of the Messiah. And then you have this guy who's ushered in a little too early and not doing the things, according to them, that they thought he should do. Well, with that, oh, yes, ma'am. Oh, really? Interesting. Well, all right. <laughs> it's just hard, too. Just not, not a good payoff, eating the pomegranate. Not, yeah, yeah not, not a good payoff. Well, we've divided the passage in, into two parts, verses 1 through 13 of chapter 7 and 14 through 23. So let's hear uh, verses 1 through 13, and you'll hear the... You'll hear Mark writing to a Gentile audience as well. You'll know because he's going to have some asides to explain what he's talking about. So he's writing to a Gentile audience about these things. So, Jay, you ready? I'm ready. All right. The Pharisees, some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and, and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all of Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many, many other traditions, which is washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied, it is Isaiah that was right when he, when he prophesied that you be you hypocrites, it is written, these people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. 
They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continues, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Okay, let's pause there for a sec. Huh? Let's pause there for just a sec. Okay. Yeah, let's just, I'm going to cut it in half. All right. So we get the, uh, we, we, it's easy to understand sort of the scenario here. I've already kind of introduced it to you. Uh, and the scene is some of the disciples not doing the uh, ritual washing, purification, whoops, uh, before they eat. Now it's not, you know, it's not the Western tradition of wash your hands before you eat kind of thing. Uh, it's much more about uh, purity, purity laws, and that which is kosher from, the, from a Hebrew term that has to do with fitting or, or right or clean, let's put it that way. Um, and if you defile, if your hands are not ritually clean, the food then is not ritually clean, and thus you're taking it in. So there's, it's sort of a, a trickle-down effect. Um, now, these aren't, these aren't rules that were set down in the law. Uh, now, there, was, there were laws set aside for the priests before they ate the consecrated meal, the consecrated bread, those kind of things that they would wash. But, but for the Pharisees, and over these centuries, they have now expanded that, and all Jews are a part of this. And this is just one of many. As you can hear Mark saying uh, in explanation to us, he goes, the Pharisees, well, all the Jews really didn't eat unless they carefully washed their hands. That word carefully there has to do with a, a fist. And there's a lot of uh, people saying, well, I wonder what that means. Is it the type of, is that how they went about doing it? You know, now with COVID, right, we... We, all that, uh, or was it the amount of water? What it meant, though, what, what Mark's trying to get across is that this is about the, the actual ritual of the purification itself. Unless they carefully wash, wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they didn't eat unless they cleansed themselves or sprinkled themselves. There were many other things. You know, they baptized or washed their cups, pitchers. In other words, to keep everything undefiled, separate. Naturally, if you went into the marketplace, you're rubbing elbows with, you know, who knows, you know, Gentiles or, you know, Jews who are, are fallen or what, you know, who are already ritually unclean. So uh, this, this, this large body of, of tradition, and that's what Mark emphasizes, and they even say, too, there's tradition behind this, tradition of the elders, those who've come before, and it's now seen as binding. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with tradition. Traditions are good. It's what, it's what has happened with the tradition that Jesus is going to focus on. So it's not a rejection of tradition per se. That's just the received wisdom and practices of those who've come before us. That's what traditions are. We practice traditions all the time. You have them in your family. You have, we have them at church. But there needs to be an evaluation of those traditions. And in this case, that's where this is heading. This is the head of what brings this to a head. It's the fact that this washing is a tradition, and this tradition is, has not only become an end in itself, it's also, as we're going to read further, getting in the way of actually obeying God's overt commands. So Jesus, in response to the Pharisees' charge, uh, he, he quotes from Isaiah, and he's quoting from the Greek translation, the Septuagint, 
because if you look it up in your Bible, it's going to read just a tad differently. But the, it's not like it's not. It's not it's like he's not talking about those things. But notice it has to do with hypocrisy, honoring me with your lips, but your heart's far away. And he's accusing the Pharisees in this very instance, as he does quite a bit of hypocrisy. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. Getting these things out of whack. You're neglecting the commandment of God to hold to the tradition of men. So that's, now he's going to actually give an example of how this can get really out of whack. It's not like they're really wondering, you know, what, why is this not happening? Remember, this is a dig at Jesus himself because of the acts of his disciples. But he's going to give them an instance of how this happens. So Jay, continue. Your, Jay, Jay's gone. Why don't you read? Can we read? Okay. Nope, he's got it. We'll get back to you. All right. All right. And he continued. You have a fine way of setting aside the commandments of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is, devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. So, according, so basically loopholes is, is, is kind of where this is gone now. It's gotten to the point, again, where, uh, you know, through, you know, uh, through creative sort of manipulation and using, you know, again, head thinking, they've made it to where now, by keeping these traditions, you can actually nullify keeping a commandment of God. And he gives us an example that is odd to us. And it has to do with uh, basically dedicating something for God, for God's purposes. That word korban there is, is basically a Greek. In the Greek, it's, that's what's there in the Greek is the word korban. It's a transliteration of an Aramaic term, which is a transliteration of a Hebrew term, which, which has to do with setting something aside or setting near. It comes from a verb which means to put near, so put near to God. And if you put something, set it aside, declare it korban, it is now banned for any other purpose. So, the instance he gives here, and he, he gives commands about, about filial duty, about, about taking care of your parents, honor your parents. And then to drive it home saying, you know, if you curse your parents, you, you, it's the death penalty. We've gotten away from that a bit. Um, but you get the idea. Uh, remember that. <laughs> um, and then the example he gives is, um, it can be read one of two ways. It could be read that there is a son, in order to get out of his duty to take care of his parents, has set aside what would have been used to take care of his parents as korban. And thus, well, hey, can't take care of you. 
Yep, you know, it's, been, it's been set aside to God. You know, how many things has, have we used God to justify? Uh, the other reading could be that in a rash you know, oath of some kind at some point, he had set it aside, and now when he wants to, as it can read that way, now that he wants to take care of him, he's, he's, he's now hung on, on this tradition, and he can't now... He can't actually love as he is supposed to love his parents. Either way, you see, however, what Jesus has now brought to a head. He says, you've invalidated the word of God by your own tradition. You're so into the tradition that you forget the main point, And that is to serve God, love God, his commandments. Here's the, the irony and the hypocrisy, of course, is that saying, by, I'm going to dedicate this to God, we now usurp the very command of God to help our parents, and now we can't use this money to help our parents because it's been dedicated to God, when it's God who tells us to help. So you see the irony and the hypocrisy. And this is just one example, he says. So you can imagine the squirming, a little bit of squirming going on there. Yes, sir. I think it even goes further in that saying this Corban is dedicated to God, or that's an ambition from God, does not mean that they can't still use the resources for their own self. No, yeah, you're exactly right. I forgot to bring that up. And so that's like PACs do that. People who run PACs will often pay themselves large salaries. And sometimes it's used as tax exempt organizations sometimes do that as well, where they they corrupt the purpose of what's been given so that they can benefit, benefit from themselves, yes. By going to a fundraising and being a five-star hotel and taking private planes or whatever else. It's as if we're sinful. Yes. Weird. No, I, that's a great point. Thank you for bringing that up. I didn't. It's not as if this has been taken care of. In other words, the money hasn't been given. It's just been set aside. And, and the person can use it for their own purposes and their own good as well. So it's even worse. You, know, you, you, just, it just, you can see how this is. Now, he's, it started with the Pharisees accusing his disciples of not ritually purifying themselves. And now, as Jesus is wont to do, he's driving closer and closer and closer now to the real heart of the matter itself. And the heart of the matter is, as you can imagine, the heart. The heart itself. And that's where we transition now to point two, the heart of the matter, verses 14 to 23. And, and in this, he's now, it's not just the, the, the Pharisees, not just the scribes. He's calling the larger multitude around to hear as well. And he is going to drop a bombshell. Now, for us, it doesn't sound too big. It doesn't sound like this is going to be that big of a deal, or it doesn't to us because we're on this, we're 2,000 years the other side of it. But when he says this, that's why he says it a little bit cryptically, uh, because this is a big deal, what he's about to declare. Because the heart of the matter isn't about food. It's not about, you know, ritual, outward, ceremonial purity. 
It's about what's in here. And in so doing, he is going to basically say the, the, all these food laws have been fulfilled. There's, in other words, the signposts aren't necessary anymore when you've reached the destination. And the food laws and the rich, all these things were signposts towards ultimate purity of God's people. But now that Christ has come and declaring his kingdom, the signposts are no longer necessary. doesn't mean they were wrong. I mean, we've reached the destination. It's because they were right that they're no longer necessary. It's not nullifying or just cutting off or getting rid of, you know, old commands. But this is a big deal. Remember Mark's audience as well is largely Gentile. And they're going to read this. And these food laws were for centuries and still were when they were reading it one of those big markers or dividing lines between Jew and Gentile. That's one of the big dividers. And we have here the beginnings of the hints of those lines are no longer there. So it's an encouraging message as well. And now this doesn't go away just with the gospel. Remember when we, read, we, we studied Paul's letters, this is a, a constant theme that comes up about where those dividing lines are and where the, the line shouldn't be. And this is one of them. So now he calls everyone together to get to the real heart of the matter. And let's read now 14 to 23. to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean, for it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Okay, so there you have it. It's not what you're taking in. It's what's coming out. It's what's in your heart, not in your stomach. And to us that seems so very clear, but again, he's kind of driving a wedge into a lot of revered tradition and theology at the time. Um, Eugene Peterson, uh, his paraphrase at this point, and I love it. I think it sums it up very good. He says, it's not, it's not what you put in your stomach. It's what you vomit out. It's not what you swallow. It's what you vomit. That, I thought that was pretty, pretty apropos. Well, notice he calls everyone together. And he says, there's nothing outside going in can defile you, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. Now, just on the surface, it kind of sounds like bathroom humor. Does that make sense? In other words, and we're told that uh, the disciples, you know, that, that Mark says that, you know, they, they, the disciples wanted him to, you know, unlock this parable. 
Remember, parables aren't always stories. They're, they can be pithy sayings. And on the surface, this can kind of sound like, well, that's not what goes in. It's what comes out that defiles you. So it can actually kind of sound like, see, sort of cryptic, really. But he would at least assume that his disciples at this point would understand. And thank goodness, though, that the disciples aren't shy to ask. Okay, now in Matthew's account, this is also in Matthew, uh, it's Peter, of course, that speaks up. Peter speaks up. He wants to know. He's the mouthpiece. Um, and, and your translation, when it says, you know, are you still, are you still so dull? That's, that's a good translation, actually. You still, you still don't get it? You know, so he's kind of ribbing his disciples. But thank goodness they asked, as, as, you, as is usual, it's because of them not being quick on the uptake. And I don't know that we would have been either being in the midst of it all that we get then the elucidation and the explanation. And therefore, we have his explanation beginning in verse 18. Uh, don't you understand that whatever goes into a man from outside can't defile him? Now remember, that's, he's talking now about the true heart of the matter, about what defiles, whereas the logic that the Pharisees have been espousing is that no ritual washing, food defiled. Food defiled in you, you defiled. Bad grammar, wasn't that? Yes, but you get the idea. And Jesus is saying, no. It's none of that is what defiles you. You're missing the point of purity. It's not ritual purity that we're concerned about here. It's moral purity. It's heart purity. Hence the need for the gospel. If the ritual purity were enough, there'd be no need for the gospel. There'd be no need for the cross. It's because of what's inside us that we need that inner cleansing. It's our heart that is the problem. And notice he says it doesn't go into the heart. It goes into the stomach and is eliminated. The word in the Greek is it goes into the latrine. It's actually, it's just, it goes to the latrine. Now we have this parenthetic insertion by Mark, thus he declared all foods clean. Whoa! Now remember, he's dealing with the Gentile audience here, and it's most likely he gets all of his stuff from Peter. He's, he's, he, most people believe that Mark is basically telling us what Peter had to say about all of this. And we know, of course, what Peter would go through later with this whole clean, unclean food bit, uh, with, the, with the, you know, the canvas, with the animals all mixed up together, kill and eat. Uh, and how many times was he told? Three. <laughs> yeah, poor Peter. Um, three times, again. Uh, so there's, there's probably not a, uh, a lot of confusion here. Um, now, it's going to, again, this is going to have to work its way out and work its way down uh, through the centuries. Uh, no pun intended, but you get, you get the idea. Um, now, interestingly, in, in, the, in the Greek, it it's just says, thus cleansing all foods. That's really all it says, cleansing all foods. It doesn't actually say, and thus he declared all foods clean. That's an interpretation, and I think a right interpretation of the Greek, but some would say that, that thus cleansing all foods means he's referring to the, the act of going to the latrine. Uh, there was some rabbinic teaching that basically food going in can defile, but excrement was not considered ceremonially unclean. Uh, and thus, he's, he, he could be saying, and thus, look, it's just passing through you. 
And if it's not, if it's not unclean coming out, it's not unclean going in. Or if it is unclean going in, shouldn't it logically be unclean coming out? I think that's, you know, that's, that is a possible reading. You don't have to stretch it. But I do think in the, in the sense of what Mayor Mark is going with this, that we should say, then thus he's declaring that these food laws aren't going to be a dividing line anymore. And his Gentile audience now can go, whew, okay, good. I don't have to be Jewish first. I don't have to follow these kosher laws in order to be a follower of Christ. But of course, the, 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 the real punch is not that. The real punch has to do with what he means by what's proceeding out of our heart. And then he gives this catalog. Some would say this is Mark actually commenting. This is not Jesus. This is Mark's catalog. Uh, most, most interpreters, and I think translators have it as Jesus speaking. Either way, it, it, it's, 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 it's the same thing, but I think it's right to have Jesus saying these things. And Matthew as well, it seems like that's the case. Um, and you have this catalog of things most of us would rather just, you know, not really acknowledge. It's, I would rather be ceremonially clean, and let's leave unacknowledged all this other stuff that's kind of rooting there. And that's kind of the point, right? Jesus is saying, I've come not to get you guys to wash your hands. We're going to wash your hearts. That is where true cleansing comes from. And hence that catalog. And thus he ends, and these evil things proceed from within. They are what pollute us. That's what defiles us. And of course, all of this is on the way towards the ultimate cleansing that will come through the cross. That's where this is all heading. Now, in Matthew's account, <laughs> the disciples uh, tell Jesus, you know, you really upset the Pharisees back there. <laughs> you, they were offended by all this. And Jesus says, yeah, well, so good for them. Uh, uh, but, I mean, so in Matthew's account, it's kind of driven home that this was pretty radical stuff that he's saying here. But um, it really is, I think, one of the things that uh, we as the church need to be reminded of. Um, because we can, if we're not careful to, fall into a litany of things we'll do. Not to say that we're ritually pure, we won't use those terms, but we kind of, in our minds, have a ledger of checking boxes that we've done these particular things and therefore, you know, we're okay. When in actuality, it's not those things. Not that they're not important, but if we make those the ends in themselves and not the means to the end of purity and sanctification and constantly, you know, one step at a time through the power of the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, coming more and more and more in conformity to his image. That is the heart of the matter. Now, the next episode after this, to kind of drive it home, Mark and Matthew both include an episode where he goes to an overtly Gentile land and there is a woman there who exercises faith as a Gentile. Uh, so I think that it's driven home kind of openly with that particular episode. It's the Syrophoenician woman. Yes, sir. Uh, 
two points. One, I think verse 18 implies that this has been a repeated lesson. They've been taught about evil before. Are you so dull? Okay, I'll teach you again. Secondly, I'm struck that Jesus gives a definition, at least an operating definition of evil. Evil is not a thing. It's not a substance. Evil is personal because it comes out of a person's mm -hmm. heart. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's too easy to objectify it. Yes. And so thus make not it not our own. Yeah, right. It's not that food. It's not that gun, actually. It's what mm. comes out of our heart, what we do with the stuff, how we approach it, how we use it for or against someone else. Evil is personal, mm. which is why I like Matthew's Lord's Prayer, the uh, protection from the evil one. Yes, exactly. Good stuff. Any other questions? Or yes, ma'am. I, I have a question and a comment. I'll, I'll make my comment first, and then I have a question. Um, it's interesting that the the way the evil things are listed, um, that the first things are actions mm -hmm. like sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, and I could say, oh, well. I don't have to worry about being evil, you know, I don't do any of that stuff. And then it gets more and more into the the things we do in our mind. Greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy. You know, maybe even I could get past greed, malice, deceit, but lewdness, but then envy? Have I never been envious of some or slander? Have I never said anything about my kids or my husband or my friend and, and, and arrogance, arrogance, even pride and mm. folly, foolishness. I mean, it really gets to everybody. As the list goes down, you can no longer eliminate yourself from um, those exactly. uh, evil thoughts. It kind of reminds me of uh, the Sermon on the Mount as well when Jesus unpacks. You've heard it said, but I say to you, or he goes from the overt action that someone might say, well, I haven't done that. And then he goes to the motivation of the heart and, yeah, taking it deeper. Yeah. The, sec the question that I have is, do you see anything in our church today or in our lives today, any traditions that we've twisted, that we're using to oppress people? I mean, certainly you could look back at the, the reformers' times when the church was charging indulgences, and those were the same category of things. Those traditions became ways to oppress people, but we're kind of blind to our own times. Do you see any any ways in which you think that's happening today? Traditions that we would be blind to that are actually being used to oppress people. Hmm. You know, I don't know. I think it could be, you know, any, anybody could take any of them and, and twist it. Uh, I don't know. Does anyone have any comment on that? Perhaps? Yes, sir. Eating bacon? Oh, because they didn't. 
Also, people still holding on to per perhaps food laws. Yeah, it's kind of an inverse of that. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, the question uh, was about what about some of the rules regarding baptism? Sure, there are various understandings about the practice of baptism, both how you implement it and what it means, those two things. Uh, they can be used as bludgeons, but we usually just beat each other up, usually, in the church more than anything else. Uh, that's normally what we do with those. That's why we have denominations, however, too, so we don't beat each other up about those things. We can all gather together with our own understanding of, here's what we believe baptism is, and we'll, we'll stay in that circle, in that silo, if you want to think of it that way. Uh, I don't know that that's used necessarily to... I can't, it could be a stumbling block, uh, for sure, to some people who can say, well, the churches can't even agree on this. But it is good to know that you know, everyone agrees, however, on that you need to be baptized. We disagree on the means and sometimes the, the, you know, the, what is behind it and what it's for. Yes, sir? Cremation versus burial. Cremation versus burial, that could be, a, could be one. Traditionally, of course, uh, churches had graveyards to have the bodies awaiting the second coming. Uh, and today, a lot more people are opting for cremation uh, simply out of... Uh, Stewardship of the earth often, often is what is, was, what is brought up. Um, I don't know that there are probably places where that is a, a thing, um, but the circles I, I kind of travel in, is, is are, it's, it's not seen as anymore as, as, a, as a theological thing. I think our understanding that God can, if he's going to resurrect the dust of the bones in the bottom of the grave, he's going to resurrect the dust no matter where they are. It's intriguing to look at some of the older rituals behind, uh, behind burial and how the body was brought into the church and how it was faced and what you would do and, you know, all those things. When you visit churches, of course, you know, and uh, we, we <laughs> it's funny how we are a little more antiseptic. So most churches built today, you wouldn't even think of having a graveyard next to it. I mean, that would be, ooh, that's macabre, that's weird. Whereas the older churches, of course, that's where the saints who came before us were buried. It kind of reveals more of an understanding of our, our understanding of death and what it is and those kinds of things. Yes? Rejoicing that we're all that we we're there, and instead of picking at others and those exactly, judgmentalism is always going to be there. Uh, it's you know what we always have to learn, and here's the thing, and it's it's a hard lesson to learn, and we're never there perfectly, and we can see it in our own political climate. How to how to go about judging, meaning making decisions, determining truth without being judgmental. It's, it's a, we, because we tend to equate 
you know, our own our own self-worth with our own beliefs and vice versa, it's difficult anymore to even have debates about things because people just start, because it's rooted in judgmentalism, you know, just start flinging barbs at each other rather than actually discuss. And I think what Jesus said, take the log out of your eye before you take the speck out of your brother. And that was a, that, that was a wonderful Yep, that's true. But then he says, still, then you can see clearly to take the speck out. He doesn't say don't ignore the speck. He just says make sure you get the log out of your own eye. Don't ignore the speck. The speck still needs to be removed as well. But often, you know, our two-by-fours beating each other up because it's sticking out of our head. I see people kind of eyeballing, so we need to wrap it up. Re recall, please, that if you, at the end, if you'll just pull your chair out so they'll know where we were sitting, so they'll know what to clean, and they don't have to clean it all. <coughs> awesome. Let's pray. Thanks, Father, for this time we were able to share together in your word, and our prayer is that uh, it doesn't just stay uh, on the page or in our head, but it gets to our heart. Forgive us uh, for being like the Pharisees so often. We admit that we are hypocrites. Um, we admit we give lip service often and, and not, uh, we don't actually serve and, and, and love from our heart. Um, may your Holy Spirit cleanse us more and more each day so that we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We look forward to the day when uh, everything will be made new and right. And in the meantime, uh, help us uh, to know where we are to serve, where the place in the battle line is for us so we can serve faithfully. In Christ's name, amen. Awesome. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have room. Mm. Oh, you're wrong again, yeah.